quote from Master Hua. who's been very uh, inspiring for uh, Tanisha and myself and introduced us to the uh, Kuan Yin Dharmas. And many uh, wonderful teachings from uh, his ancient Chinese monastic uh, tradition. Quote goes like this All living beings are my family. The universe is my body. All of space is my university. My nature is empty and formless. Kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity are my function. All living beings are my family. The universe is my body. All of space is my university. My nature is empty and formless. Kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity are my function. Who is that? We might wonder. That you and me, when we flower into our nature. Buddhism has good news too. Yes, the first noble truth is suffering. There is suffering. Does anybody deny it? It has a cause and there is an ending of suffering. It's conditioned. Someone was asking about the Paticca Samuppada. It's conditional, dependent upon ignorance. When we're not seeing clearly, we generate these patterns, construct them quite innocently. Me. I. Nothing evil about it. But as we've reflected, that eye proliferates. There's nuclear proliferation, but there's conceptual proliferation, papancha. The universe shatters and it's inherent, indivisible, perfect fusion of form and emptiness is split asunder. And then we live in these boxes, these walls of the mind that seem so real, propped up by our language that continually 
projects this magic show of me and you and here and there and what I like and what I don't like and then something seems, yes, that's good, I've got it. Pleasing, successful. We become it, we lean on it and it shifts and the wheel spins. The great Vedanta sage, Sri Nisargadatta, said this, this process, it's like a, you can have a whole cargo ship full of cotton, one spark. Little by little by little by little by little consumes all that was filling up and obstructing that recognition of the spaciousness. We're destined to wake up because it's our nature. This, it's not seeing clearly. It's a blindness that gives rise. So if you boil up the Dhamma, the Buddhism, from the 37 Bodhipakya Dhammas, and then, that's too much, and then the seven factors of enlightenment, I don't know about that. Four Noble Truths, well, maybe. (laughs) Keep boiling is awareness, reflective awareness, contemplative awareness, Awareness that's looking into the nature. And those walls of the mind are recognized for what they are, changing patterns that are empty, of substantiality. But this growing into this recognition of all living beings are my family, this kinship we have with all forms, all beings. Because all the multiplicity, as we've been reflecting and has been recognized by the great saints and sages, all the apparent multiplicity is welcomed manifesting within this one sky-like awareness. And that all that apparent separative complexity merges into a non-split, non-dual perfection. From a scientific perspective, uh, someone wrote uh, Albert Einstein back in 1950. This distraught father had lost his son. And he was asking, 
Mr. Einstein for some comfort. And Albert Einstein took the time to write him a letter. And part of that letter was, he said, a human being is a part of the whole, called by us universe, a part limited in time and space. He experiences experiences himself, his thoughts and feelings as something separate from the rest a kind of optical delusion of his consciousness. The striving to free oneself from this delusion is the one issue of true religion. (coughs) To repeat, the striving to free oneself from this delusion, this sense of separation, is the one issue of true religion. Not to nourish it, but to try to overcome it is the way to reach the attainable measure of peace of mind. We've been focusing a lot on one particular gateway. and reflecting on the obstacles to that gateway to freedom, to the return, having been a refugee from our own true home, sense of being never at home, not knowing who we are, where we are, seeking security, seeking stability, and not finding it. And we've been reflecting on uh, wisdom, It's a gateway, one of the most powerful keys, contemplative keys for unlocking that uh, and ultimately dissolving those walls of the mind. Is that calming, as we've been doing, stabilizing, and then turning that mind to look into Everything we take to be me and mine. These khandhas that Tanisra was elucidating one evening or morning. And to reflect on their changing nature, the forms, the feelings of pleasure and pain, the perceptions, the thoughts of good and bad and I can't take it, or I love it. As we start to see that, and the impulses, and the moments of consciousness, seeing and hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling, imagining, thinking, start to recognize that torrent, that cascading flow of impressions, that is the actuality of our present moment, our reality. Then there's the recognition of dukkha. If we're seeing if everything's really changing and yet we're asking something to totally satisfy us, we're asking something to be reliable, that its very nature 
its truth is to shift. Our wonderful earthy teacher said, that's like asking a duck why it's not a chicken. Or it's like shouting at a river, why are you flowing that way? You should flow the other way. Or he said, it's like boxing a tree. You'll hurt yourself. (laughs) So when we recognize that, there's a natural disenchantment. The illusion falls away. A dispassion. We realize we've been asking moments and beings and experiences to give us what they can't. There's that relinquishing, relinquishing and letting go. Letting things be what they are and then touching into, when we're not so busy grabbing and pushing away, we notice what's here, what we've called the matrix, the primordial womb of creation. The essence of consciousness, that which remains even when the thoughts subside, the sounds subside. as the Buddha said, even a finger snap of noticing change already is that first spark, that first hairline fracture in the concretization, the reification, the making the real stuff out there. Then when we start to see that, then we start to, hmm. The other great gateway is Compassion. Notice they both take one to the same unitive place. When we let go, we rest and recognize that place where all things merge, all things arise and fall back into. Embracing and welcoming is the same. Takes us to that same unitive place. Helps dissolve the walls of the mind. The great sage Nisargadatta has a saying about that that Tanisha and I like reflecting on frequently. He says, wisdom says I'm nothing. Compassion says I'm everything. Between these two banks, the life of the awakened one flows. Wisdom says I'm nothing. I'm not a thing. Didn't say we're trashing everything, but these bodies, they're vibratory. They feel good, they then feel not so good. They're strong, and then they're not so strong. I'm sitting like a mountain, and then I can't make it up the steps. They send heavenly messages to us (laughs) that they're not our possessions. Wisdom says, I'm not a thing. Compassion says I'm everything. Between these two banks, the life of the awakened one flows. And just as wisdom, just as the reflection on change, even for a finger snap, the Buddha said, is so important for beginning to see through the apparent solid walls of the mind. 
Compassion is the same way. Here's how the Buddha spoke about metta or kindness. He said to the monks, bhikkhus, if a bhikkhu cultivates loving kindness for as long as a finger snap, they're called a bhikkhu. That one is not destitute of deep meditation. They carry out the master's teaching, responding to advice. They do not eat the country's alms food in vain. So what should be said of those who make much of this kindness, this welcoming? One mind that can focus, see into change, so it can hold, but also it can soften. We've been practicing letting be, letting go, and especially the great architect of the walls of the mind is concepts, the thinking mind. So rather than trying to destroy thoughts, we've practiced moderating them, shortening them, so that we notice their tools for pointing us here and now and encouraging the heart to receive and explore and in moderating thought, blessing thought with awareness. We can notice thought has a beginning. It's vibratory and it dissolves into Listening, learning to let be, rest in that gap, that listening. Stretching, learning to relax into that place where there are no walls being created, a unitive space. And that's our first taste of peace. But some of our tendencies are really, really deep-rooted as we know, as we're coming into it. And I just don't want that. That's okay, but please. And there's some things that we still just keep out there. And if we're not careful, sometimes our wisdom to let go is hiding some aversion. It's also so important to learn how to welcome. It's the same heart, same awareness that can touch, investigate, let go. It's like a palm can let go, but a palm can also receive and touch and hold. It's natural. Relaxing on out-breath, letting go, sharing, letting things flow. In-breath, learning to receive. especially our deep-rooted pains, our deep-rooted tendencies, the traumas, the, those aren't necessarily just solved by wisdom, letting go. Oh, it's just change. Change. That's why kindness was uh, one of the 
last baramitas, these great perfections, that baramita means to carry one across the sea of suffering, that kindness, that willingness to hang out with, to not fight, to allow universally, has a way of melting. That's why the Buddha said, never through hatred is hatred overcome. Never. Only through love. This is the eternal law. Some of you know, Tanisha and I have been in South Africa for 20-something years, 24 years, trying to run a little hermitage in KwaZulu-Natal and establishing some AIDS projects. And Not that we planned that, but it's what was needed at that time, and we arrived in the country right after Mr. Mandela was the first democratically elected president, black president, president that the whole country could vote before all the um, local indigenous black population wasn't allowed to vote. So Mr. Mandela's life has been a great inspiration to us, and His biography, Long Walk to Freedom, is awesome if you ever get the chance to read it. But he recounts how he was, when he was in prison for 27 years on this little island in a tiny cell that forced to work in lime mines that messed up his, his eyes. And he was even prevented from attending the funeral of his mother and son. And he was bitter about it and upset and about being in prison and about the injustice in the country. But talk about the difference between being turned by conditions or turning or allowing conditions to turn, turning things around. You know, his life is an incredible inspiration for us because he saw, he just saw what was happening, his bitterness. He just said, Resentment is like drinking poison and then hoping it will kill your enemies. Not, not that it occurs. It's natural to occur, but to harbor it, to make that, you know, my go-to place where we get juice and energy. Notice it creates this incredible wall. They, them, hmm, huh. And he just saw what that was doing. He turned that prison into a university. And he had the insight. I'm going to learn the language of my oppressors. That way I'll understand them. He even studied the poetry of Afrikaans. He started turning jailers around, touching them through the force of his presence, through not perpetuating a wall, through, but being vulnerable. Where we are uh, in KwaZulu-Natal, there was a Uh, one of these local protection guys, protection agencies. There's all kind of protection agencies, guns and blah, 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 and lots of crime and challenges. And 
but he at some point realized he needed to learn meditation. So he was coming to me to learn meditation. He'd come in wearing his gun into the shrine room, but I, he left the gun right at the door in the little alcove outside our shrine. Actually, a very sweet at his core, but been through all kind of stuff. And Mr. Mandela had got him to be his bodyguard, part of his protection crew. I mean, Mandela was amazing how he would gather people in to create unity. But so he had a, this uh, white man as uh, part of his protection. And uh, he was recounting how Mr. Mandela's life just touched him deeply. There were some assassinations going on in our province. Uh, even after Mr. Mandela was president, a whole bunch of people from his party were being murdered. The ANC, the African National Congress, in, in a place called Richmond, and, um, which is in KwaZulu-Natal. And so uh, Mr. Mandela told uh, his security crew, we're going. So, you know, they got into their bulletproof car and then went to Richmond. And, of course, the news was Mandela's going to Richmond, so the streets were full. And there was incredible hostility there, you know, because there were a lot of, for whatever reason, tribal stuff going on and, and, and killing um, African National Congress people. And so the streets were lined with, with people, and Mr. Mandela told his uh, security, and my friend was there in the car, he said, I- I'm going to go walk out amongst the people. And my friends just said, Mr. President, you can't do that. They'll shoot you. And he said, Mr. Mandela turned to him and just said, if I can't walk down the street of my own country, you might as well shoot me right now. He got out of the car, He walked out, vulnerable, smiled. And uh, my friend just said, you know, this, this palpable, yes, someone could have shot him. And many of our heroes have been killed. But he was giving up something for the sake of the welfare of everyone. He just knew You're not my enemies. I'm not your enemy. And it diffused something. When we allow, we're not pretending to like everything, but this kindness practice is a making ourselves vulnerable and open to thoughts and feelings and tendencies. And some of our deep-rooted stuff. Combination of, yes, investigating, see the pattern, see it changing, and rather than being so much me, it's, 
it's rage or it's, it's a pattern, it's worry or it's I need, I need or I can't stand or I'm not worth anything. Yes, we can study it, but sometimes when we want to keep, you know, it's not self, it's not mind, let go, there's still that aversion. And that's this other movement of you're perfect. Offering, as our teacher would say, our Western teacher, you, 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 you have a place at the table. You're inviting them for tea. <coughs> or in the guest house, as Dara read to us, when Rumi was, welcome them all. You're not pretending to like everybody. But can one not harbor, add on to it more harm? Can we not fight? Not harm, not push out, but allow these then orphans, these refugees of the heart, then have a chance to, to be blessed and can shift. I've told the story uh, many times, but when I was a monk in England, southwest of England, I was a prison chaplain. Usually for two prisons, uh, Exeter Prison and Laverne Prison. I'd go in and talk to prisoners who wanted to, to meet a Buddhist monk or wanted to learn about meditation as part of what was called the Angulimala Project. I remember the story of the, that Tanisha told of the great murderer who turned it around and became one of the Buddha's great enlightened disciples. And, uh, but we got an invitation from another, at the time, high-security prison down in Dartmoor in the southwest of England. Uh, so I, I accepted it. It was the only time I went, but it's uh, in the winter or in the most many seasons, it's a bit barren and bleak. It has its own beauty and power. But where the prison was was quite remote gray stone walls, going through lots of, you know, security checks and barbed wire and slamming doors and, you know, going to this prison. And then I got, uh, these prisoners had never been allowed to meet in a group. They were always just kept on their own. So this was the first time they were being allowed to have a group to meet with me. It was considered a special occasion. They had said they had a relationship to Buddhism and it was near the full moon of May so that it was a a time of honoring the life of the Buddha, the awakening of the Buddha, the teachings of the Buddha. So I was led to this uh, sort of dingy type classroom and there was about a dozen prisoners sitting around and I had my shaved head and robe and, and went in and um, sat down. And as we were starting to just introduce ourselves, the guards who were staying outside the door started heckling. And they were thought I was Hare Krishna, so they were going, Hare, Hare, have you seen Larry? What about Barry? I don't know. I've seen Mary. You know, I mean, they were just heckling. And uh, so that was uh, creating tension in the room. And the prisoners, my, my fellow uh, 
beings in this group uh, were agitating, getting angry. And so I said, uh, we hadn't been there that long, and I said, well, let's practice some metta meditation, some kindness meditation. And then the, the guy to my left named Arthur said, I don't have any kindness. If I had another chance, I would break his neck again. Except he said it with an English accent. <laughs> You'll have to get to Nisra for that. <laughs> break his neck again. He, he was in for murder. He had uh, found someone that was having an affair with his wife and he killed him. I don't have any compassion. I don't have any kindness. And so that was an awkward moment. Heckling. (laughs) My metta meditation got shot down. (laughs) And um, so, uh, you know, as they say, it was really swinging along. (laughs) But I I, I rallied, you know. I, I just stayed with the feelings and I just said, look, the kind of metta we do, we're not pretending to like what those guards are doing. And Arthur, you're not trying to pretend that you have kindness or compassion. In, in this metta meditation, we're allowing, not fighting. Hear those heckles? Let's just let them be and we're just letting our heart hear them, welcome them. We can be with them. We can do that. We can be with it. The aversion to it, we can welcome that too. The conviction, I don't have any kindness, that like jagged concrete in the heart, I'd break his neck again. We can listen to that. Feel that feeling. Feel that pain. So I was talking us through this welcoming. Not pretending to like. Welcoming. Welcoming. Relaxing with. And uh, what I called a meltdown happened. Uh, It was just palpable, the the togetherness of our group as we were sharing just the sounds, allowing the heckling, just the sense of our presence. That's why it's called a divine abiding. It's not fighting. It was getting wider. Arthur started crying. And the guards quieted down. I don't know if they were, got tired or were touched by the metta or they got quiet. And for a time, we were not in prison. Yes, our bodies were in the walls, locked in the walls, locked in the little classroom behind the door with two guards. But our minds... They're called the immeasurables because allowing, welcoming, not wishing harm on whatever it is is unitive. It's wide. And walls have a way of dissolving. So we were floating. And Arthur, by allowing that Conviction, I don't have any kindness. Break his neck again by letting that convict, let it be touched by listening, a kind listening. 
freed up something. So that by the end of our session together, he was uh, laughing. Just a lot of dukkha, Bhante, a lot, lot of dukkha. He's sweet. And I realized we all could be in that position. We all could... We are brothers and sisters. We're one family of essentially one substance of multiplicity of forms and manifestations that ultimately merge and yet have our unique manifestation and yet merge. The form is empty. We let go and we notice the deep peace that never moves. But we also can welcome when we notice we're pushing something away that can bless. Letting go and welcoming. So today, in moments, practice letting go Practice welcoming. Both of those allow things to change, to come and go. Our letting go can be a welcoming. It can be an honoring of letting things follow their natural course. Finishing with a teaching from our Master Ajahn Chah that we love. Do everything with a mind that lets go. Do not expect praise or reward. If you let go a little, you will have a little peace. If you let go a lot, you will have a lot of peace. If you let go completely, you will know complete peace. Your struggles with the world will have come to an end. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.